0: Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by human synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Culture confusion. What on earth does it mean? I hear so many different definitions, different questions. It seems like it isn't any clearer. My name's Dominic Goley I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia. I'm joined on the show this week by Corinne Cantor. And Corinne, this week, I need your help sorting out what is this whole culture thing, because it's got pretty confusing out there.
1: Hi, Dom. Hi, everybody. Yes, it is pretty confusing out there. It, It feels like, even though we've been talking culture for a long time, that there still persists a lot of confusion around what culture is and whether you can measure it or not. And we came up with a few myths that we regular. These are questions that people ask us or we've read and um, we thought we'd actually take the opportunity to work through them and um, bust some myths.
0: Let's bust some myths. We're like the good old myth busters of the Mythbuster. culture.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: the, the first big one I hear, Corinne, is you can't measure culture. Mm. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, well... I think that we can, oh, yeah. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Look, I think if I step back a second, Dom, and talk about part of the reason why I think there's so much confusion is culture has been used, the one word has been yeah. used to mean so many things and so broadly. It can mean engagement. It can mean an individual's behavior. It can mean description of the vibe or a feel of a place. So I think people, organisations, authors, you know, have used culture in so many different ways that we've just, and so broadly, it's just completely lost the understanding of what it is.
0: You you know what? And I'm going to sound like a bit of a snob right now. Humans just have been measuring culture since like the 70s Mm. or something for ages, right? Or 80s, whenever it was. For ages. I feel like it got really popular in the last, I don't know even how many years it was, probably not that many, five years or something. Maybe I'm off there, but, yeah. but it's increased in popularity, like the number of mentions in the media and stuff just feels like it's going up and up and up. And I feel like people took what they already had and just kind of rebranded it as culture. And so suddenly everything kind of became culture, Yeah. even though it's not really, yeah. right? They just gave it a kind of new, a new coat of paint and stuff like that.
1: And years ago, like our practitioners might remember and anybody who's been involved in organisational development, organisational psychology, Edgar Shine, who's like such a, a luminary in the area of culture, once said that he didn't think culture could be measured. Of course, he's revised that since he's. Um, we've done a lot of work with him in the US, Dr. Rob Cook and Edgar Shine have had a lot of conversations, a lot of podcasts. And He does believe that it is possible to measure culture.
0: You you know what he said, though? So I've listened to a bunch of interviews with him talking about that very Mm.
1: topic.
0: And at one level, I totally agree with him because a lot of people who say they are measuring culture are not measuring culture. Right? And I think that's really what he was getting at is that so many people say it, yeah, you've got a culture of 73. Like, what? You can't, you know, to him and to us, you can't just boil it down to a, a number or or something like that because it's much more nuanced than that. Yeah.
1: And so I think that the first thing is it's confusing because we kind of use the word too broadly, too loosely, and now it's lost its definition in terms of workplace culture and what we're describing.
0: So give us the definition, Corinne. What is it?
1: So culture is are uh, the shared norms, values and expectations that guide people in terms of how to do their work and how to interact with other people in order to fit in Mm. and survive or fit Uh. in and thrive. Uh. Now, if you take that apart, culture is shared. It's a collective phenomenon. It is the expectations, the shared expectations. So it's the signals and the messages that I'm getting about how I ought to behave. Mm. And that's a really important component. It's a behavioral phenomenon. Mm. So it's not about culture isn't about whether I feel I get enough training. It's really about the degree to which I feel I'm expected to take time to listen to people. That the degree to which I feel that I'm encouraged by my organization to collaborate versus compete. So culture is a behavioral phenomenon. If you had to get rid of the word culture, you'd be talking about expectations and behavior. Yeah, And it's about a shared view. So what consistently seems to be the shared expectations across a group, across an organization, then you've got your the values, the espoused values of what the organization would like us, how the organization would like us to be. Aspiration. Yes, yep. Yeah. And the norms are the rules, if you like, the cusp the rules, the written rules and the unwritten rules that govern how uh, we operate. Uh, so that's our definition. And it's cultures also, you know, you see culture in what's rewarded and how and what's punished. Okay. Uh, so what happens if I make a mistake? Uh, how does an organization so the first thing about culture Over and above anything, it's a behavioral phenomenon. Yes. So you're not going to identify your culture by asking a question like, to what extent do you get the communication that you need? Or to what extent do you get the training that you need? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about the training? They're not asking about behavior. So that's the first thing. Can you measure it? Yes, you can. And we've been, as you said, human synergistics through the work of Dr. Rob Cook has been measuring it for decades. And so we know that it's possible to measure it. What happens is there's a lot of confusion between engagement and culture. So a lot of organizations feel that when they measure engagement, they measure culture. You are not. And engagement is an outcome of culture. So we use the iceberg analogy regularly to explain that engagement is an outcome. It's what sits above the waterline So it's a short-term, it's really asking people about their opinion, their thoughts, their feelings, their perception of the training that they get, induction, orientation, communication, access to lead. So it's, it's saying to what extent do you feel you're happy with the training? So it's a different question than what we would ask. It's an outcome of culture. It's important. It's an important measure of the overall organisational health, but it's not measuring culture. Culture is behavioural. It's really to what extent are you expected to be the nice guy? To what extent are you expected to conform? These are culture questions. These are questions that measure culture. So that's one of the big differences. And I think you know, just recently we're still getting questions around if I measure engagement, why do I need to measure culture? But I think slowly organizations are starting to realise that engagement is not an accurate measure of culture. Yes. And that they need both to have the complete
0: picture. What about speaking of confusion? There's a lot of talk nowadays about a safety culture, a customer service culture, an innovation culture, and so on. The list is kind of endless. Mm. How does that work? How are there so many cultures? Yeah. What's that mean?
1: Well, there aren't that many cultures. <laughs> you know, and if you go back to the definition of culture, it's the shared norms, expectations around nice. how I have to behave. You don't have a separate culture for safety in that sense. You've got one culture and that culture has the capacity to deliver several outcomes. Okay, healthy culture, a constructive culture, will deliver high performance, will deliver great safety, will deliver great customer service, great risk maturity and risk management innovation. So all those things that have come to be known like risk culture, safety culture, they're outcomes. Mm. They're not a culture in and of themselves. And if you think through what that would mean for an organization, if that were true, an organization would have to have something like seven measures risk or more, measure or more.
0: Because there's probably more dimensions. And
1: so. it, it just doesn't make sense. Now, I want to say, Dom, the problem with that whole thinking and, un, you know, unfortunately in the marketplace and even with the Hayne Commission, we've got this rise and rise of risk culture. The problem with this idea that you've got safety culture, risk culture, a d culture is that it actually dilutes your efforts in creating a constructive culture that will deliver all of those things. Yes. Because you end up having a different approach to each one of these outcomes. And so you dilute the potency of your your strategy around culture.
0: And if you think from a person in the company's point of view, you know, if there were these different cultures, how does that work? Yeah. Like from nine to eleven, I'm gonna do my risk culture. Yeah. From eleven to twelve, I'm gonna do safety culture and from after lunch is innovation culture. Like, what? Yeah. Of course, that doesn't make sense when I say it like that, but that's kind of how people think about it. Now, here's the thing I would say about it. That outcome might be really important to us. Awesome. So safety is really important to us or innovation is really important to us. But see that as the outcome. How do we build a culture that will help deliver that and other Outcomes. Yeah. So they can help focus us on why we're doing this kind of work.
1: And I think that that's why they've come into prominence because culture sounds very abstract. It sounds intangible. Business leaders know that culture is important, but they can't really put their finger on what it concretely is. Uh. And so I think there's been these terms developed. I understand risk. Yes. So if we call it risk culture. We need to take
0: more risks here. I understand. We need to manage it.
1: (laughs) Maybe not take more risks. That's what I mean. um, So I think in a way, and I know a lot of organizations, clients through the years have said, we're going to put it under the label of safety culture because our leaders understand the importance of safety. So I think that some of these terms have emerged as a way of making something that sounds intangible, which is intangible and abstract, sound, make it sound more concrete. But the problem is that you end up creating greater confusion because, you know, if you're going to have a safety culture and then you want to introduce a risk culture, then the obvious question from a leader's point of view is, how is what we're doing over here different to that? Mm. Can't we just get it all through one measure? Mm. And the answer is yes, you can.
0: Yes, Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of that, because I think on a similar note, there's a lot of talk about ethics yeah. nowadays and measuring ethics and mm. stuff. So how does that fit into the picture mm. or how is it the same or different?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting one because if we remember back to, we well, don't have to go back too far, but the Australian cricket team, when uh, sandpapergate Gate happened in South Africa, they brought in an ethics expert. Uh and I think a lot of all finance-based organizations and banks brought in ethics experts. So, and I won't argue that ethics are really important. They're really akin to values and principles that are about doing the right thing. However, it's not about just establishing values and just establishing principles. Culture is the, the management system, okay? It's, it's how you translate those. Ethics, how you operationalize them. So, how you help translate that into everyday systems and processes that shape people's behavior. So, I think the difference is ethics is still a system, a code of values and principles about doing the right thing. However, sometimes you can, people know that something's wrong. Uh. Okay. I know that I shouldn't steal. But I know I had that, to. But even then, I know if I'm working in a bank mm. that I shouldn't actually be stealing from the bank or stealing from the customers. But if I'm able to do that over a number of years, it's not because the bank didn't have ethics around it. It's because the bank had a culture that allowed it to happen. Yes. Okay. And that's the difference. It's the operational. And I'm, I'm mm. just using banks as an easy example, but it could be, that example could happen in any organization. It's wrong to take bribes, okay? I know that, you know. I don't need to work in an organisation to know that, but I'm doing it because I'm able to get away with it. That is a cultural issue, not just an ethical issue. And the
0: sandpaper gate was it's wrong to cheat. Well, yep. we all know that. Yeah. But the cultural issue was we've got to win at any cost. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that's kind of the difference. And, and that was reinforced through the operationalized systems yep. within Cricket Australia. Yeah, and, and
1: also the system around Cr- Cricket Australia and, and the amount of investment, it. you know, in winning in yep. the, in Australia and the broader community. So, So we talked about the difference between engagement and culture, the difference between the two. Oh. And I want to be clear in saying that they're both useful measures. So engagement is short-term, it's more variable, it's more context-related whereas culture is deeper, takes longer to form, but it's also got a higher correlation. So there's a stronger relationship between culture and sustainable performance, long-term performance. We've also talked about the difference between ethics and culture, and culture is really how ethics get translated and operationalized into everyday business. We've also talked about the idea that Things like risk and safety and diversity and inclusion and innovation, they're all outcomes of one culture, one cultural system, if Mm. you like. Within that culture system, because the other confusion is, I don't want to just have one culture in the organization. Some business units do different subcultures. So there are, of course, subcultures. We don't want people to be, every culture be exactly the same. But what we find is, in order for people to understand how they ought to behave, there is a common ground and alignment that can be achieved that can be embodied through standards of behavior and what's expected, what good looks like. And then if you've got that established, you can then look at the systems and processes that will reinforce those right behaviors. Awesome.
0: What about I've got some other, other myths that I want to knock off here, Corinne. So one was that culture is an internal issue and mm. it's not really relevant to profit or business KPIs and outcomes. You know, it's just something interesting we measure internally. What do yeah. you think about
1: that? Yes, I think that's because everybody associates culture with engagement, yeah, which is an internal measure of how attached, if I'm looking for a different word perception, than engagement, yeah. perception of it, you know, how committed I am to the organization really is what engagement's looking at. And so I think that's how that's come about, but human synergistics, we really feel and believe that in culture is really a way for the, the organisation to adapt to its environment. What I say to business leaders is there are a lot that you can't control in how you run your business in terms of the factors externally that drive your performance. The one thing you can control is culture. Culture is about execution, so often your strategy will guide you and will help you decide where you want to go and what kind of investments in time, effort and energy you're going to need to make in order to get there. But culture is going to drive you there. So culture will help you execute that strategy and deliver that strategy. And the wonderful thing about culture is that when you've got a healthy, constructive culture, it's really what effectively you've got is a set of behaviours and standards that help people put their energy, time and effort in the right things at the right time in the right way. Ah. And if you can get that lined up, then you're likely to get performance. In our research, we know we can prove categorically that culture plays a role in driving growth, profit, efficiency, effectiveness, customer retention, customer experience, engagement, retention of staff. So over the years, and I've been with HS for a good 15 years now, and I know we've almost every KPI that an organisation can mention to us whether it's safety, whether it's profit, whether it's revenue growth or whether it's managing shrinkage in a retail, mm-hmm. we can show the role that culture plays in maximising those and we can also show the role that culture plays when that performance is not good against any of those KPIs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you are interested and if, you, if you're a HR or people, a culture practitioner and you'd like your business leaders, give them some insight. We've got some great case studies, real life case studies that actually show the linkages between, if I can call it hard business numbers, whether it's profit, revenue or NPS scores. We've got a lot of case studies that show the benefit and the role that culture plays. So we'll put those links in the show notes. Yeah, we'll, in, we'll have a
0: link in the show notes that goes to the, the blog for this particular episode and we'll have them there. So if you want to download those and check them out, go yeah. for it.
1: So that's a big myth because we can categorically prove that it is it is linked to performance. Oh, it's
0: all, to me, it's all about effectiveness. And if yeah. we're effective, we perform better. You know, It's as simple as that. What about cultures of vibe and a feel?
1: <laughs> I remember once a very wise man wrote a blog dom. entitled, Even Prisons Have Ping-Pong Tables.
0: You know what? We've mentioned this blog so many times. I went back and read it the other day. The actual blog isn't that good. (laughs) But the headline was awesome. The idea was awesome. So I feel like I need to write a new version of the blog because it was like super, super short.
1: So just in case any of you missed it, that blog was written by Dom, but I remember seeing the heading and I just love it. So look, I think it goes back to culture being this abstract thing that has become so broad, nobody understands it. So sometimes you go from, I don't understand culture and how it's relevant to the business to business leaders who think that culture is really important, but think that if we increase communication and put drinks on Friday nights, that that will fix it. Mm. So this idea that, or we'll get a ping pong table in, or we'll have a, we'll change how the office looks, you know, make it more funky. So it's quite a superficial understanding of what culture is, that it's a vibe and it's social. Okay. Now it is social, but it is not just about getting people to have more fun and have team building. It's much more concrete and much more related to how we do our work than just socializing together. And look,
0: I like playing ping pong. (laughs) I like having Friday drinks. You know, all that stuff is awesome. There's nothing... Wrong with it per se, but it's not addressing the actual issue, right? Because we can have all the ping pong on the wall, but if well, but if I can't make decisions about how I do my job, I can't use my initiative. I've got to hang back and wait to be told.
1: Then I can't be my best. Yeah, I can't be effective exactly. And I enjoy having drinks with my my boss and my peers on Friday nights, but if it still means that I need fifteen signatures in order to get something done, you know right. that that doesn't help me.
0: And so linking back to the blog, it was called ping pong. Prisons have ping pong tables too Yeah. because actually ping, they prisons have ping pong tables and basketball courts and all this kind of f- funky stuff that could potentially be in a, you know, Silicon Valley office or something. Yeah. But of course you have zero autonomy. Exactly. Right. And all this stuff. So is it.
1: And you're heavily constrained.
0: You're heavily constrained. Yeah. Obviously you're a prisoner.
1: <laughs> yeah. But so, the- so
0: you can't perform at your best or you can't be your best, right? Yeah. So that's kind of what it was getting at. So that's you can right. have all the perks. Yeah. But that doesn't actually help you in the end.
1: And and let's make that a little bit more explicit, Don, because I think it's an important point. You can have all the superficial trappings, the team buildings, the social games, the social drinks. You can have the quiet rooms and the brightly coloured furniture. The reason it doesn't change anything is because culture is actually how I do my job and how I'm expected to do my job and interact with people. So if I have all those things, but I still don't know what's expected of me, it doesn't help me. If I have all those things, but I'm told that I've got to be a team player, but I only get ever rewarded for being an individual player, they don't, one doesn't fix the other. So it's important to understand that culture isn't a, about the vibe. If you do your culture well, which is about giving people a clear sense of purpose and mission and what they're there to do, and What's expected of them? It's helping them grow and learn and valuing their effort. It's helping them get a sense of intrinsic value from the work that they do. It's creating great teams. It's about helping people enjoy what they do and enjoy making a a contribution. So, unless the culture strives to do those things, it's not really going to create effectiveness in individuals, in teams or organizations. That's it. And again,
0: I want a funky office as well. That's awesome. I've got collaboration spaces. That's cool. It's just not addressing the underlying beliefs and values. right? I actually had a friend who was working for a Silicon Valley, an unnamed Silicon Valley company, had unlimited leave. Yeah. Wow. Unlimited leave. That was the perk, if Mm. you like, right? Guess what? No one ever took it. (laughs) No one ever used it because... Corinne's going on three weeks' holiday.
1: Mm.
0: She must not be very busy. You know? So Do the, we need Corinne. So the culture said mm. you don't you need to work hard and be seen. Yeah,
1: so they could afford giving the unlimited leave because nobody had all No ever one would it.
0: take it. It was like the it was a risk. poison chalice or something, wasn't yeah. it? You know, and that's that's the culture. Mm. Right? The perk versus the culture. We talked a bit about there about refurbishing, so mm. that's kind of one we've already hit. Another one I've heard is culture is just an HR issue.
1: Yeah. I think we've talked this in a, about this in another podcast of the 10 things to be conscious of in culture change. So culture is actually a business issue and everybody has a different role to play. So culture, as I said before, is about execution and it's something, and as a result, it needs to be owned by business leaders. The role of HR is to support business leaders, create And maintain the culture that's required by through tools and coaching and helping, advising, and supporting leaders to actually develop the capability and the coaching skills to be able to create the culture that's required. So, everybody's got a role in culture, everybody's got their fingerprints on the culture, but culture is something that really has to sit and be owned by the business because it's the business leaders that actually set the culture, oh. you know, that are, are key, a leader's behavior is key in shaping the culture. And so they, they must own the culture of their team. They oh. must own the culture of their division of the organization. Totally. What
0: about, you know, people look at, we talked about measuring culture earlier, mm. but bespoke surveys, mm. you know, can transform culture mm. kind of thing. So I'm going to just make up a few questions and... Put them out there. What's yeah. your take on that?
1: Yeah, a lot of it's very attractive, the idea of being able to customize your questions for your organization. And I think that it can be valuable to have a certain amount of questions that you can add uh. to a quantitative survey. Uh. The issue with having a survey that's completely bespoke is that there's no standard against which. A proven standard that links to performance or effectiveness. Okay, so it gives you information, but it doesn't necessarily give you wisdom. Okay, uh-huh. because there's no standard linked to effectiveness that you can say, okay, we need more of this, we need less of that. It's just a whole lot of information that's interesting. Uh-huh. So I think I'm not an- anti asking questions that are specific to the organization, but the value of a quantitative, validated, reliable survey is that it's linked to a standard, an established, proven standard around effectiveness. Because why else would you measure culture if it wasn't for the fact that you want to become more effective, whether that be you want more engaged employees or you want better performance metrics? There is a reason to measure your culture. And because you want your people, your leaders, your teams, your organisation to be effective. You can't judge effectiveness unless there's a standard that you're comparing it to. Mm. And, you know, one of the things about bespoke questions is they're not anchored in any foundation.
0: Yeah, and, you know, without nerding out too hard on survey design (laughs) and all that kind of stuff, you know, the average answer to a one to five scale is not two and a half. No. Because it depends on the question. Yeah. So it could be four. Yeah. it could be two. yeah you know so so just because we got a score of three point eight that might actually be really low. yeah, you know but you don't know that unless because there's, there's no norms norm. and stuff yeah. that's
1: right. The other thing that I'd say about bespoke questions is the hardest thing to write when you're measuring something is a question because some if you don't get the question right, you can't be sure that the answer is going to be reflect what your intention was. The other thing is sometimes mistakes get made in terms of trying to, you know, put too many things in the one question so that you're asking a number of different things. Right. You know, so I think there's an art to writing a powerful question that will help you get the wisdom that you need. So I think sometimes the bespoke questions can confuse people. There's
0: also, like, I don't know if you've ever read Thinking Fast and Slow. Yeah. And in that, they talk about, survey, question, order. And the example they use is something along the lines of, um, it was for university students they're yeah. asking, how happy are you? Yeah. One to 10. How many dates have you been on in the last month? Or yeah. something like that. And so asked that way, people would rate their happiness and then they would say how many dates have been on. They then asked a different group, how many dates have you been on in the last month? How happy are you? One to 10. And now they had anchored the question about how happy you are to how many dates you've been yeah, on. Yeah, So people who had been on more dates tended to score their happiness higher than those who had been yeah. on fewer and stuff like that. So, so it's the order effect. So the order effect. So it depends. The order you ask those questions will actually have different outcomes. Anyway, that's enough nerding out <laughs> on surveys. The next one that sometimes people do is try to, if we add up a whole lot of individual yeah. profiles, a whole lot of individual reviews, that yeah. equals the culture.
1: Yeah, yeah. And sometimes we get those questions where an organization might have done 150 LSIs, say, of leaders and they say, okay, couldn't we just put all those, aggregate all those 150 individual LSIs and we get a read on the culture. It might be interesting, you know, on the assumption that a leader's behavior in the two might reflect something of the culture. But it's not the same as measuring culture because if you go back to when you're using an LSI or an individual 360, what are you measuring? Mm. You're measuring how the person sees themselves and you're measuring how other people see this leader. Mm. And if you think about is that a good measure when you want to assess a collective set of beliefs and expectations completely different. So one does not equate to the other. We know that leadership can shape culture. That's why I say it's interesting. It's not without interest, but it's not a culture measure. Mm. They measure different stuff. Exactly, completely. They measure different stuff, It's like black and
0: white, effectively. Yeah. So, you know, the, the questions in their nature are different. You know, if we go back to the definition, it was around the beliefs, norms, and expectations of behavior. Yeah. culture, right? Last one for me is you know, reading employee comments mm. and surveys gives a good read on the culture. Yeah. So kind of free open text type comments.
1: And, you know, we include free open text in, we can do that we in our surveys mm-hmm. as well. But we caution our clients not to give that greater weighting than the population sample that you've just done or the, the overall population. So I think what's compelling about employee Comments is they can carry more emotion, or they feel because they're written from the first person, they're very engaging, mm. okay? It makes them compelling. The problem with letting your judgment about what needs to be done to improve the culture be swung or skewed by the comments is that you're looking at a few comments, but you've you know, you've got 800 people, uh-huh. so you're being swayed by a very small subjective view. So that's the danger with it. What can be useful is to get an idea of examples. So the way that I would use it with clients is if they've got comments, is to pull out the quotes that exemplify, that reflect the data. The the data. Okay. To give leaders a more concrete Felt sense right. of what, how that might show up. But otherwise, you know, sometimes the people who will take time to complete the comments are the people who have got something negative to say, you uh-huh. know. Or, so I think all of it can be useful, all of it can be interesting. The risk with it, and I've seen that with leaders who really want to see the verbal comments because they get drawn into them. Uh-huh but where you've got a large population sample the value of it is it's taken some of the biases out and so you use it as a way of reflecting or demonstrating the data but don't use it instead of
0: yeah i don't know why but i was just thinking of it's like a, a you know election poll or something versus looking at the twitter feed yeah you yeah, know like the twitter feed's just full of hot takes but does it represent anything? You know, who knows? You know, I've seen leaders do that. And I think sometimes it's people fishing to confirm their own
1: point of view. And that's the risk with it, is that it might confirm your own bias, you know. And really, if we're talking effectiveness, which is why it all comes together, right? Why do you measure culture? Because you want to become more effective for all sorts of reasons. You want more effective and happier individuals and more effective leaders. So we measure for effectiveness But if you're going to read comments looking to confirm your own bias, Uh. you're not going to get to that effectiveness because you've had a skewed view of reading the data. The whole purpose of getting the data is so that you can have a more objective view, you know, to be able to make good decisions.
0: Thanks for busting some myths with me today, Corinne. Pleasure. I thought that
1: was awesome.
0: This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au. In today's episode of Culture Bites, we talked about the How Culture Works model. The How Culture Works model is from the Organizational Culture Inventory and Organizational Effectiveness Inventory. The feedback report for these surveys and other culture change resources are copyrighted by Human Synergistics International. Research and development by Robert A. Cook and J. Clayton Lafferty. All rights reserved. Please contact us if you would like to review any of these resources for organizational change and development.